Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the DraftSite.com podcast. I am DJ Boyer, and as always, I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the 42 states where he can actually, he's, he's so wild, there's eight states in the union that uh, he's, he's banned from currently. We'll let you figure out which ones they are, Zach Gutierrez. Yeah, the man, the boy, the legend. I, I'm a, I'm a, the, the boy, the myth, the legend. I'm not sure if I'm a man yet. My voice is too high. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Well, speaking of is he a man... We're going to quickly jump right into the fray here with the Johnny Manziel news. You know, man is right in his name, but maybe maybe that's the only manly thing uh, about Johnny Manziel these days. More reports surface after he's been handed the starter's role for the rest of the season, and now he's relegated to third string. I believe he'll be behind Austin Davis and uh, Josh McCown. So what do you make of Johnny Manziel? Do you think... Is this just an overreaction of kind of the coaching staff? Is this just him not getting it? What What is the deal here? I think it's a little bit of Mike Penton being a bit of a disciplinarian. And the fact is, is uh, Manziel struggled with alcohol. Uh, he went to rehabilitation. It's just really stupid timing to play your best professional game, go into the bye week knowing that you're the starter, moving forward, and to, and to do something like this. Uh, I saw the video. It wasn't that bad. You know, he was rapping and chugging champagne. But it's just, it's not as much about the drinking. It's, it's about losing the trust of the coaching staff. A, a coaching staff is stuck behind you, and right when they give you the opportunity to become a starting quarterback in the National Football League, you go out and you, you go to a party and you get... I mean, it's one thing. Maybe if you were sipping a beer at the Ohio State-Michigan game, which he did go to, that's one thing. But to, to be at a club, I don't care if it's your bye week. It's your first. You finally get the starting job. It's just stupid. And I'm, I'm not sure if they have a problem with him drinking as much. It's just a stupid, stupid move. And if you've ever been listening, I mean, I, I, I stick behind Johnny Manziel, but it's so dumb. How dumb do you have to be? And to let it go on Instagram, you're such a moron, Johnny. I wish I love you, but what the hell are you doing? And and it is very unfortunate with the timing because really he's been starting to look more and more comfortable in the pocket. I mean, I don't think he's anywhere where you could kind of look at him and say, "Wow, this is a franchise type quarterback or someone we can hang our hat on going forward." But there was some reason for optimism there. Um, it's just the timing is just. Uh, it defies all logic. That's all I can really say. Uh, because there there was definite progression being, I think he was starting to turn around more and more thoughts and perceptions of from, from his fellow players and those in the locker room. We hadn't heard too many people kind of bad-mouthing him or everything seemed to be pretty positive with his teammates. So it just, just awful timing. I don't know what to make of this. And you got to think now going forward uh, – do the Browns look at quarterback again? This seems to be a process they do every two to three years. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is it is it just the cursed franchise? Because they've done they've changed everything. It's uh, 
it's the one thing that they haven't had since they became a, a franchise again, since they got reinstated in Cleveland. They really haven't had a franchise quarterback. They missed on Tim Couch. Uh, they actually did well with Kelly Holcomb. I say like that was probably the best quarterback they had for a little while. I want them to stick behind Johnny Manziel. I think, like I said, in the Russell Wilson capacity, he'd be very successful. But if his head's not enough, then they gotta they're gonna have to draft another quarterback. Yeah, and with quarterbacks, you know, with with Johnny Manziel, it's a little bit different. This is for disciplinary reasons, but the amount of quarterbacks going down due injury has has been kind of alarming. Uh, T.J. Yates is in there now. We saw Case Keenum actually coming in for uh, Nick Foles, that not, not being for, for injury. But uh, Peyton Manning going down. Brock Osweiler looking pretty good in his first start for the uh, for the Broncos. Just a lot of uh, a lot of changes at the quarterback position. Uh, this is the time of year where attrition really starts to take its toll. Who kind of stands out for you, whether it be a positive positively or negatively? from some of these uh, new quarterbacks that we're seeing uh, taking the reins at the NFL level? I'm, I'm impressed, and I'm loving seeing uh, Matt Hasselbeck doing well, keeping the, uh, keeping the Colts in first place in the division. Uh, he looks like he's having fun. The Colts are playing good football. And, uh, I mean, he knows his place. That's not a quarterback controversy. That's a guy that's just coming in knowing he has nothing to lose, and uh, he's doing a very good job for them. And we did talk at length about the AFC South and, Boy, if anyone out there had seen that Thursday night uh, game from last week, uh, wow. The uh, Jaguars and Titans, not the uh, greatest of primetime matchups that we have seen. But Blake Bortles, he, he continues to, to get it done. It was not one of his better games of the year, but it was certainly far from atrocious. And uh, the Jaguars are kind of putting themselves in position. Houston looking looking good. They're, they're right there at the top of the division as well with TJ Yates coming back. So, a little bit of hope there, but real quickly, just to touch upon the Case Keenum situation. What do you make of that? I mean, everyone's seen the video by now. Obviously, you know, you're talking about a quarterback who was under some duress and didn't know what was going on. What do you think the NFL should do in a situation like this? Do you, do you think that Jeff Fisher and some of the coaching staff needs to be held responsible, or are we get, just getting a little too nitpicky every time that we see a situation like this arise? Um, Jeff Fisher is an old-fashioned NFL coach. I mean, he's been coaching in the league for a while. So I guess it's pretty tough to spend your entire career echoing the sentiment that coaches from that, which now is a bygone era, really echoed in the locker room. You know, uh, you'll see up on all the old locker rooms, like kill the head and the body will die, playing through concussions. So I always wonder, one of these guys that's been coaching that long, how you can go from really being that old football coach to this new age football coach where everything is, uh, you know, the safety of the players. That combined with the fact that, really, who cares about Case Keenum? I know that sounds bad, but, I mean, he's not the future of the franchise. So uh, I, I imagine that they were a little uh, little uh, short just on depth. I mean, can't imagine who was playing after Case Keenum. But uh, I mean, it was obvious to anybody watching. Uh <laughs> I don't understand. The only thing I can think about is that Jeff Fisher is kind of, he's been getting a little publicity for being like a little, the Rams play a little dirty. People have been criticizing, but I just think that he's an old school coach and it's really tough to teach an old dog new tricks. That's true. And you're talking about a guy who was tough. You're talking about a guy who was starting in the secondary in his USC days with Ronnie Lott. So this is a guy who, uh, talking about just one tough SOB with uh, Ronnie Lott and, some of the stories that kind of surround his play, 
uh, at the college and the NFL level. So it's it's a definite different philosophy. It was a very good point brought up by you that sometimes people don't think about that. It's not just cut and dry. It's when uh, kind of the, the different era and a couple different schools of thought and some of these older coaches that have been around the block, per se, got to be different than what we're seeing out of the, the young pups. So real quickly, uh, looking at the NFL landscape, uh, as far as kind of some big games this, this weekend, uh, I, I really liked the Sunday night matchup that we saw with Arizona and Cincinnati. Very good matchup. Decent game last night that started a little bit slow with the Patriots and Jets. What, uh, what game kind of really stood out to you, or what do you take away from the action that we saw this weekend? I really, like you, was very entertained by the Sunday night game. And don't really be surprised if that's, I mean, it's still a little far-fetched, but that's like, that could be a potential Super Bowl. Those are two teams that would not shock me to be seen in the Super Bowl. And I definitely would not be shocked by Arizona because I think uh, – You've Arizona, been on them all year. I've been on them all year. And, I mean, uh, it's, it's right now looking like between the uh, Panthers, Arizona, and and maybe – the Packers, but I think it's really going to come down to the Giants in Arizona. That's my gut. I see that being the NFC Championship. Uh, and then also, while we're on the topic of elite NFC teams, like I said, the Panthers, they really just keep winning, and they hammered Washington. And they and it looked like it was going to be a game early because both teams are going tit for tat. Carolina looks really, really good. And uh, yeah, that's, that, that's about it that really surprised me. And Kansas City, don't sleep on Kansas City in the AFC. That's the team I'm worried yeah, about. Uh, they're starting to get rolling there. Starting to get, starting to get rolling in KC. And, they're a very, very good team. And right now, the uh, the last entrant into the playoffs, the number six seed, or uh, would really be with a five and five team. So there's, you know, you can just be right hovering right around that 500 marker, just barely above, and you're right in the thick of the playoff race. Um, so. Definitely got to worry about Kansas City. They they really seem to have things rolling right now. Some good balance. The the offensive line is really uh, really improved. Their play at least over the last three or four weeks, it's just looked worlds better early on. The the offensive line was just terribly inconsistent for Kansas City, and we're seeing just much better cohesiveness along that uh, Kansas City line. And we know that, of course, being a lineman himself at BYU, Andy Reid is always places a premium. For those big uglies, as you would say, along the offensive line. That's a good, good pick as far you know as something to look out game, for. Uh, another game that I couldn't help but notice, and it really isn't a game that's really huge in the NFL landscape in terms of playoff contenders, but how bad is the luck of the Ravens? It's ridiculous. It's getting to be crazy how, how many injuries they have. Uh, I think Forsett broke his arm. Flat goes out for the season. Like, just ridiculous. Yeah, that was something I was going to bring up. Absolutely. And, and Flacco, we're talking about a guy who I think was, was 122 straight starts, has been tremendously durable uh, during not only his college days, but uh, with, with the uh, Ravens. So, yeah, just terrible luck right now. I, I, again, if, if they're able to do anything, it's the, the team trainer's probably the MVP because that, that's a team, it looks like they've got more people hurt than they've got healthy at this time. Just you can just never plan for injuries, and sometimes we've seen years where teams get snake bitten per se. Oh, this is beyond snake bitten. I don't know what's going on in Baltimore. I mean, maybe it's something in the water there. Um, 
put some extra fluoride in there or something because they're just going down at an alarming rate. And, and another one, I'll, I'll bring it up, even though, you know, I, I am an Eagles fan. Boy, uh, it looks and, like the team has kind of quit. And, you know, we've talked so much about Jameis Winston, and he, that might have been his coming out party, his big shining moment. Uh, and, and it wasn't that he passed for a ton of yards. It was just uh, around the 250 mark, but the five touchdowns and just good decision-making in it. Go back and look at the first couple weeks when he was playing pretty well to, you know, the last few weeks. I mean, you're, you're just seeing there's just a lot more zip on the ball. There's more command. There's more decisiveness. And not that Jameis Winston was terribly indecisive at the beginning of the season. He just looks to be carrying himself uh, with, with just an amazing amount of confidence. There's just this kind of aura about him where he's just kind of got that college swagger to him. And I'm, I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of Jameis Winston. Yeah, Sanchez passed for more yards than him, so it wasn't about the yards. But you know what's incredibly encouraging to see, from especially a young quarterback, is his five touchdowns were to five different receivers. He's he's like one of those guys that you know that just has it, and it takes him a little while to get the speed of the game right. It got Peyton Manning. It took him a whole year, Peyton, to get the speed of the game right. I mean, I, we all knew Jameis was going to be good. Uh, I think he could be very, very good. He's making great decisions, and I think that's the difference between somebody that's like becomes like a Jay Cutler and somebody that becomes like a uh, like a Tom Brady. I'm not saying he's Tom Brady, but uh, he looks really good. And I would say, if, I would like to do this one time, is if we were to like name our top five quarterbacks, if we're starting a franchise today, I think he would be in my top five, probably at the bottom end. Oh, he's definitely in my top five. The question is where he is in, the, in that list. He's definitely there. <laughs> Excuse me, and I think it also goes to, uh, I think, a little bit of validation on our part because I know I've gotten some emails about people who are a little animate about how can you be so uh, talk up Jameis Winston the way you do, and I know we, we kind of both shared the same sentiment. I, I think Marcus Mariota is going to be a very good quarterback, but when it comes down to it, I think he, he's going to have a, a good career. He's going to be someone you can rely on, but when it, I mean, you're in this league to win championships, and he just doesn't scream championship caliber to me. He screams good quarterback. But with Jameis Winston, uh, it just looks like the football intelligence is there. Uh, his his football intelligence is just light years beyond anyone that was at that position last year. And I can definitely see Jameis Winston being that type of quarterback that I think can lead you to possibly multiple championships. And I think that's the difference, and it's it's really paying off right now. Me too. I'd love to have a debate because I know it's maybe it's it's too early, but him and Lucker, that's just going to be a great quarterback battle going back and forth. I think Russ, I was really high on Russell Wilson, but the more I watch, he doesn't, it hasn't really clicked for him. I thought he would be taking the next level towards being like a mobile Drew Brees, and he hasn't. I think it's between, you know, Winston and uh, Luck for the, you know, the great quarterbacks that I see. Good that you bring Seattle up. One quick question there. Have we seen the end of the Marshawn Lynch era with Thomas Rawls and what we're seeing there? Not only putting up good numbers, but this is a guy who's also leading the league in in yards after contact, something that Marshawn Lynch was always near the the top of. It's kind of not only does it look like he's quietly unseating him as the top back there, but he's kind of doing it in Marshawn Lynch style. It's uh, kind of interesting to see, but. Do you think this is the end of that, that Marshawn Lynch era? Is it just a little premature to, to be bringing something like that up? Yeah, it's a little premature. I'd say in a year, maybe two years, but Marshawn Lynch is still near the end of his prime. It's definitely, in my mind, still a top-five running back. 
I think he hasn't had a great year, but he's he's a top five running back. They just haven't been able to pass the ball. Uh, and I guarantee you, if they're in the playoffs, they need Marshawn, and he's gonna he'll be their entire offense will will be as good as he can be. Well, we'll shift gears a little bit here, and we'll go to the college game. And of course, a lot of big games this weekend, and then shake up in the rankings. It starts right at the top with the Ohio State Michigan State uh, game. Ohio State finally going down in the Big Ten. Michigan State, kind of the sleeper team that I thought at the beginning of the year that could possibly win a title. N- don't know if they're they're really the team to beat, but they've they've definitely put their stamp on that, and, and Iowa keeps winning. Uh, your thoughts on that game, and of course, be, being a Buckeye fan, and maybe about the sentiment that we heard. Out of Ezekiel Elliott after the game, what do you, what do you think of some of those comments that we heard from from Zeke? All right, well I'll start with the Zeke comments. Zeke's just an emotional dude. He's like uh, he cried before the game, and his emotions got the best of him. And that was n- n- not a terrible, terrible thing to say. Obviously, it wasn't appropriate, but it wasn't in a malicious way. He's a good-hearted kid. If anything, he's just a little too emotional. Uh, and I have no problem with it because. He, like Urban Meyer said, it wasn't the form for it, but how do you give Zeke 11 carries in a close game like that? When he tore him up last year, it doesn't make sense. It's crazy to me. Uh, so he, he makes sense. And I, don't sleep on Ohio State because I hope Penn State comes to play, end of the year, beats Michigan State. Ohio State hammers Michigan, hammers Iowa, and they make the, the playoffs. Because I still think I would not favor any team in the country over Ohio State in that big, in that big game atmosphere. So I really hope they make do I Do I possibly hear Zach is actually going out to the store and getting a Christian Hackenberg Penn State jersey? We know how much you love him. You're, 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 I'll get a Christian you're, Hackenberg. You're Team Hackenberg this week. Yeah, I'll get a tattoo <laughs> of Hackenberg. Me, Pete, Michigan State this week. Because I, I, uh, Ohio State's very, very good. I would be most scared of playing Oklahoma because they're, you want to talk about a team that's due. And Bob Stoops seems in. He gets a lot of a lot of crap, but in BCS games, he's pretty he's pretty good. He's another big good big time coach. Not in the regular season big time, but like BCS bowl big time. All right, you heard it there, everyone. Start your start your uh, Twitter hashtags right now. Kristen is bitching at uh, at uh, Zach Gutierrez right there. Yeah, the biggest Christian Hackenberg fan on the planet this weekend. Looking for Penn State to go in there and tear some things up. Now, as far as Ohio State though, how concerned? How concerned are you with Michigan? This is a team that obviously is playing much better, but they had a couple of close calls before their, their game with Penn State. They've, uh, you know, they just escaped over Minnesota. They have the goal line stand. They, they are taken to overtime by Indiana. I mean, it's a good team, but is it really a great team? Do you think, uh, or, you know, in my eyes, I think it's the wrong time for Michigan to get Ohio State coming off a loss. Uh, I think it, it could have been competitive, but I, I think that kind of favors Ohio State. Your your thoughts on on Michigan and that game there? I think Michigan's good. I think they're very good. Uh, I would love to see Michigan play uh, play a, a team like Iowa, but you, like you said, they caught Ohio State on a bad week. I think Ohio State's just going to hammer them. They're well coached, but they just don't have that many. Excellent skill players. Ruddock's only an average quarterback. They're surprisingly good on defense, but Ohio State has crushed them every year. I think Ohio State's just going to hammer them, just beat them, and they'll be they'll be good next year. They'll be very good next year. But this year, they it's one year under Harbaugh. They're not, they're like a, a top 
15 team, not top 10, like they're ranked right now. All right, and then going by the rankings, a little bit of shakeup, obviously, in the, in the poll there. Clemson still maintaining the top spot. We've got Alabama still in there. Uh, but I believe we've got uh, two new uh, dancers in the party. Uh, Notre Dame had actually been in the top four, and they've actually fallen out. I know Oklahoma now finds themselves in the top four. And correct me if I'm wrong, is Iowa the fourth team right now? Do we have two two Big Tens? No, yeah, I mean, Iowa is in the, in the top four, but who's the second? Who's the first Big Team in the Big Ten? Oh yeah, and Michigan State—they're—they're they're on the outside looking in with with Notre Dame right now, and yeah, and you've got uh, Ohio State still looming there. So, I mean, Iowa obviously it's—you don't want to say it's a cupcake schedule, but it's obviously nowhere near uh, the the strength that we've seen out of Ohio State or Michigan State or even Michigan for for that uh, matter. So I think they will really have a prayer. I, th- I think Iowa will lose this weekend. I've been saying, I'm telling you, if you go back on one of our last calls, I think they're going to lose. I think they're going to lose at Nebraska. That's it. Honestly, that's the toughest game on their schedule to me. Apart from I, I, I thought they were going to lose to Minnesota. I thought Minnesota was kind of matched up well with them, and it was a pretty good game. But uh, Iowa, you know, found, I believe that was 40 to 35, found a way to pull that out. I'm telling you, at Nebraska, Mike Riley is a good coach, and they're they're starting to click. This is the game that Iowa loses. I'm looking forward to the Navy-Houston game. Navy-Houston is going to be a a really great game. Yeah, Navy. I mean, a lot of people would have thought that that was going to be Memphis or Houston. Someone out of that AAC, that American Athletic Conference, was going to wreak some havoc on uh, the committee and and what they were going to have to do with with possibly a BCS bowl berth coming from, from one of those squads. But now with Navy, it, it's kind of tough because if you're Navy, I, I think you you really have to root. you got to be rooting for Stanford hard because their only losses with Notre Dame, and they're more or less kind of in competition with Notre Dame not coming from one of those uh, power conferences. If Notre Dame loses and, and, and Navy gets a win – possibly you see them ahead of Notre Dame in the rankings and you know maybe it kind of really pushes them closer to a playoff or at least a major BCS bowl game. So uh, I think Navy's going to be some pretty big Stanford fans this week. But um, I, would argue, some other teams... I would argue that Navy, sorry, just to play devil's advocate because it's always fun, I would argue that Navy wants Notre Dame to do well because then they're like Notre Dame right now with their no, Notre Dame only losing to Clemson. If Clemson somehow loses, and I'm still not sold on Clemson, and Iowa loses, and there's all this mayhem that happens that would have to happen for Navy to ever have a chance anyways, it would look better if Notre Dame was number one in the country, a one-loss Notre Dame team, number one in the country, and Navy's only losses to that one-loss team in the country, and they hammer Houston, and then maybe they could sneak into the fourth slot based on the same rationale that Notre Dame is ranked because their only losses to number one Clemson. i tell you what, the formula is it gets interesting. It's another train of thought there. I think it's a, it's a little less imp- improbable, but it's something that could happen. Uh, and Notre Dame, you know, five turnovers against Boston College. And Notre Dame, boy, they got to be the Ravens of college football. The fact that they're even in, in the college football playoff uh, process right now and being considered, uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about a team, what they've, seems they've went through about 10 running backs this year. And uh, they're, they're just really beat up as well. So, 
really a testament to, to Notre Dame and that depth chart there and what you're able to do at a school like Notre Dame. But, uh, you know, it's kind of uncharted territory for myself. Everyone knows that uh, I'm, I'm a Tar Heel fan on the NCAA side of things for all sports. And, you know, being 10-1, and one, I still think Clemson's the real favorite there, but I'm, I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, North Carolina's been been playing some pretty good football. It was a tough game this week, and having to go on the road and playing in Virginia Tech with Frank Beamer's last home game, a lot of emotion there. That was not an easy win for them, but they got it done late. I think North Carolina has a chance. I still think Clemson probably wins that game, but I don't, the Tar Heels have been really, really hot. I don't think that's a that's a team that, that Clemson can really count out. I don't think they're going to roll, roll right over them. Definitely not. I'm telling you, I'm not sold on Clemson. Uh, Deshaun Watson is excellent, but North, it would not surprise me at all if North Carolina, and it's funny, because if North Carolina played South Carolina right now, I feel like they win by like 30 points. I don't understand how they lost. But they're, like you said, it was Frank Beamer's last game in Virginia Tech. That was a very motivated Virginia Tech team, but if you look at their schedule, not, they've been, they hammered Duke in Miami, like crushed Duke in Miami. Uh, they are very good, and I do not think that Clemson is a lock to win that game by any means. Yeah, you got it. Talking about one-loss teams, the fact that the one-loss came to South Carolina. Now we're talking about a team that last week they lost to the Citadel. <laughs> I know. I sometimes know, I know. you just can't. You just can't plan this stuff. Sometimes. And I would. I'm curious to see if they played right now. This is why college players and uh, you can. I mean, never really tell because they mesh so quickly or so slowly. If they were to play South Carolina right now, I really think they would probably just murder them, like oh, oh, maybe a 40-point win. It doesn't make sense how they lose. And the last thing to cover on the, on the college front, uh, the Big Ten, I'm sorry, the Big 12 as well as the Pac-12, have these guys kind of played themselves out of a, a spot in that top four? Of course, we, we know that uh, the Big 12 and the lack of the conference championship game came into play last year. But it looks like everyone's kind of taking a turn at the top. It looks like it was, you know, Stanford was coming back, and then they suffered their second loss after that early setback to Northwestern. It looks like Utah was in the driver's seat. Now they've dropped three games. UCLA's coming out of nowhere. Washington State is suddenly, you know, relevant, and, and Oregon has kind of turned it around after a very, very slow start. Uh, it, I don't know. It, does any team in the Pac-12 have a chance And I don't know. It looks like everyone's kind of beating themselves up uh, in the in the Big Twelve. Are those conferences just kind of killing them themselves right now in order to win that conference? Uh, it could be a two loss team, and unfortunately, kind of play them out of the, the college football playoff in the top four. Uh, out of those conferences, who do you think really has the best puncher's chance right now of representing their conference as a as a playoff team? Definitely the big the Big Twelve. Ironically, has ten teams. It's just so silly to say. Uh, but Oklahoma, you give me if Oklahoma wins out, they're they're going to make it. Oklahoma is, and then Baylor is the next one to jump right in. There's no one in the Pac-12 that could really realistically have a shot. Maybe Stanford, but other than that, they're all two lost teams. I'm very intrigued by Washington State. I'm so excited. I love the set of uh, Mike Leach at Washington State. That they're good. That, that's the only thing that intrigues me, but, I mean, there's no team in the Pac-12 that even would have, like, a 10% chance of making it. I think Oklahoma's going to make it. 
because they don't have to play a championship game. They're already in the top three, and it's not like they have a cupcake and people are going to forget about them. They get to play Oklahoma State, who will ideally beat, and I think they'll be a lock. They're already above Iowa. Yeah, and I'm going to call that right now uh, when it comes to draft prospects. He's still a year away, but Mason Rudolph at Oklahoma State really like what I see out of him overall. There's plenty of things that he can really improve upon in his game, but sometimes you just see these players on tape where you kind of see the mistakes and you kind of know how correctable they are, and they just show you those glimpses of of how good they can be. Really, really like the decision-making and the fact that there's really not a whole lot of weapons on offense for Oklahoma State aside from that quarterback position. This is normally a team that has a little more at receiver at running back, and they're really a little bit depleted this year. Uh, offensive line's been a little unsteady as well. They've had some injuries uh, along the front of the line. They've, there's been a couple games where they've missed two or three starters. I think you get a little more weapons around Mason Rudolph, and you're talking about a, a guy who's a very, very high draft pick and, and possibly even a Heisman contender next year. He's been really, really hot since uh, probably the West Virginia game. But uh, the last three weeks, he's, he's looked really, really good. And he's definitely got the size. So I would have no problem with that projection for him because he has – and we'll see. We'll find out this week against Oklahoma. So he looks like a potential first-round pick for sure. And that's a great segue into our last section here. We'll go back to the NFL draft, and this is one of my favorite times of year. One, just because now everyone's kind of had their bye week in the NFL. You kind of start to – you don't have that uneven, you know, teams that have played eight games by seven, and kind of everyone's on equal ground. Really start to get a a preliminary look, and within a couple picks you kind of know, unless there's a huge run or your team absolutely falls apart, where they're actually going to be sitting in next year's draft. This is a, this is a fun time of year. Not to mention the fact that uh, you know I've always done a pretty good job and been looked at by a, a couple of organizations and, and and things as far as scouting small school players. And right around Thanksgiving, you know, kids are going home from from school. This is toward the end of the football season. Those small school players, at, at, at these these players at these small schools, people start to realize what prospects they have, and this is when the the tape becomes readily available and they. SIDs, the sports information directors at these small universities, are flooding your inbox, and uh, you've got access to video, and then this is just a fun time of year. So as far as projections, uh, with the latest mock draft that's actually out, we have the the seven-rounder that's up. I don't know if you've looked at the latest. It was just updated, but uh, we have the Cleveland Browns with the top overall pick. So if you're Cleveland, you're sitting there at number one. Do you go for that quarterback? Do you go somewhere else? There's obviously a lot of needs. What does GM Zach do in this situation? First of all, this is why you're amazing, because you do watch all that tape, and this has got to be the only seven-round draft that has as much thought into it as this one does. So for people that are looking for fourth or seven, this should really be the only place you should be looking for it. But I don't like him getting – I don't like the first overall pick Cleveland. I don't like Paxton Lynch. I'm not sold on Paxton Lynch at all. I like golf more than Lynch, but I still want to go Lynch. I go either Bosa or I'm really high. I'll go Hargraves. I know that's ridiculous. In the corner, it's real. I can't even think of a time a cornerback's got number one, but I love Hargraves. But I'd, pro- I'd probably end up going Bosa. That's the, uh, the safest pick. Perfect. 
He's already we'll kind of go through the we'll kind of go through the picks maybe five at a time. Picks that kind of stand out for you, maybe good matches. And obviously, this isn't dead on. The only thing that we really have again dead on is picks twenty one through thirty two will be the teams that are currently in the playoffs, and the teams that are outside consist of one to twenty. And again, it's kind of close to where they're at, but it might not be exactly where they're at right now. We've got Cleveland at one with Paxton Lynch, uh, the quarterback out of Memphis. We talked about Joey Bosa going number two to the Tennessee Titans. We have the San Diego Chargers picking at three, and I think there's actually a pretty good shot that maybe this team ends up at number one. Uh, I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I think if the, the sentiment about any team going to Los Angeles – it really, really looking bad for the Chargers right now. I don't want to say that the whole team's given up, but it just seems so lackluster there. We've got uh, the Chargers picking at three. We've got Laramie Tunsil, the uh, the offensive tackle out of Ole Miss. Jared Goff going four. The San Francisco 49ers, obviously the Colin Kaepernick situation there, not looking like he will be back. And at five, we have the Baltimore Ravens with the aforementioned Vernon Hargraves the third, the corner out of Florida. What kind of stands out to you there? Uh, I love the idea of golf to uh, San Francisco. I just think that's a perfect fit. He, he does remind me of like a skinny Joe Montana. I'm not saying it's Joe Montana, but I, I love that. And Hargraves to the Ravens would be my worst nightmare because I think Hargraves is really, really good. One of the best cornerbacks that, that I've seen play, and so is Jalen Ramsey. But uh, I like all those picks, uh, I except for Paxton Lynch. And uh, assuming that Cleveland doesn't take Paxton Lynch, I still like golf more for San Francisco. And I think then, I mean, I don't really think Paxton Lynch is that high of a pick, but then maybe he would go all the way down to Philadelphia, assuming teams like him. But other than that, I love the two, two through five. I love all those guys. And I think they're perfect fits for all those teams. Well, we'll go six through ten right now. Detroit picking at six, Ronnie Stanley, the tackle uh, out of Notre Dame. At seven, Dallas Cowboys, we've got Robert Namichi, the uh, defensive tackle slash defensive end, probably more of a, a quick tackle at the NFL level, probably a lot like a Gerald McCoy-type uh, tackle. Uh, from Old Miss, going to the Cowboys at seven. Jalen Ramsey, who you just mentioned, at eight. Uh, the corner going to Flor- uh, from Florida State, going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Eagles picking at number nine with Jack Conklin, the offensive tackle out of Michigan State. I think uh, looking for the heir apparent to, to Jason Peters. I think you can still get some time out of him there, but I think it's time they start looking for another kind of franchise tackle type there. Lane Johnson's pretty good, but I think they're, they're better suited keeping him on the right side. And at 10, the Miami Dolphins, where we currently have Jalen Smith, the linebackers, have an outstanding season uh, for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, any picks in those five that kind of stand out to you? Again, I like all these players. Uh, I think that uh, Jalen Ramsey at eight would be a, would be a steal, and uh, Jalen Smith is another guy that's just a lock, I think, for the top ten, and would almost fit at any team picking six through ten. All right, going from eleven to fifteen. We've got the Washington Redskins at 11 with Connor Cook, the quarterback out of Michigan State. Although I've got a kind of another theory there I'll, I'll kind of throw at you then. Uh, 12, the St. Louis Rams with Laquan Treadwell, the first wide receiver off the board from Ole Miss. Emmanuel Ogba, the defensive end from Oklahoma State, going 13 to the New Orleans Saints. 
He's suddenly resurgent Bears picking at 14 with Desmond King. That's a cornerback who I really like out of Iowa. Uh, if there's anyone who's kind of made up some ground on my board, Desmond King is really kind of overlooked. I mean, Ramsey and Hargraves are probably one, too, but if there's anyone that has a shot at going in front of those or being in the same breath, Desmond King is really, he really, really gets overlooked. Plays a lot bigger than that 5'10 and then 3-quarter frame. And at 15, the Oakland Raiders with Miles Jack, linebacker out of UCLA, and that just looks like a, a perfect kind of Jack Del Rio type pick uh, there for Oakland at 15. And uh, the reason I wanted to bring up Washington was I think the one situation that I wanted to kind of talk about is the growing sentiment and, and the changes taking place with the Lions, a team much like the Browns, it seems just constant turmoil. And it looks like not being able to keep Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson, maybe even getting rid of both. I mean, it, it's a little more unlikely they get rid of two players, but it's quite possible they're going to be cleaning house there. It's starting to look more and more like Matthew Stafford may not be a lion next year. And I think there's going to be some teams in the running for him and a couple landing spots, but I, my early kind of hunch, if, if he hits the market, uh, it's about time the Redskins haven't made that big splash lately. I think that maybe he goes to Washington. I think Houston would be a very good fit. You put him with Bill O'Brien. But uh, I don't. it just seems to have a Redskin-type pick written all over it if Matthew Stafford becomes available. So uh, your thoughts on 11-15 to 15 and uh, maybe thoughts on Matthew Stafford if he is let go by the Lions, maybe some potential landing spots. I think it would be such a – really crappy franchise move to get rid of Matt Stafford. Uh, the Lions, you can't just hire coaches and then and fire them. And, uh, you can't do what the Titans did. And in the NFL, you just got to give chip players a chance. Look at Andy Dalton. Look, look how many off years Andy Dalton had. And look how he's playing now. Granny hasn't done anything in the playoffs. To get rid of Matt Stafford would be crazy. But if, it, if he did leave, I think Washington's learned their lesson with trying to build your free agency. And I think Jay Gruden really likes, really likes Cousins. And Cousins is capable of being a starting quarterback. It's not like he's surrounded with these world-class weapons. Uh, but the Texans, the Texans, he's from Houston, Matthew Stafford. Uh, I think that's like a perfect fit. As good a fit as Laquan Treadwell of St. Louis, because that's an amazing fit, too. I love that pick. All right. Well, we're going to quickly go um, 16 through 20. Uh, we just talked about the Texans, and at 16 we have them landing – the player who says that he's going to be coming out next year, and that's Ezekiel Elliott, the running back from Ohio State. Staying with Ohio State at 17, Taylor Decker going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I have Leonard Floyd, the outside linebacker from Georgia, going 18 to the Jets. The Seattle Seahawks with LaRaven Clark, the offensive tackle out of Texas Tech, going 19 to the Seahawks. And at 20, the final pick before we get to the playoff teams, the Buffalo Bills with Shalikwe Calhoun, the defensive end for Michigan State. Thoughts on any of those picks? Uh, you know my thoughts on Elliott. I think Elliott can play. He's immediately a three-down back. Uh, so any team, I would have no problem with him. I, if somehow they could get Stafford and Ezekiel, that'd be a really excellent team. And I think Houston's a well-run team. And this is an example of a well-run team. I don't think they'll fire Bill O'Brien. Even if... Uh, they they lose the division by two games. I don't think they'll fire him. Because, you know, it takes time. Uh, but I, I like that Zeke pick. I like Leonard Floyd with the Jets. 
And uh, I like Calhoun to the Bills. I would be lying if I said, oh, I love LaRaven Clark to the to Seattle because I don't know anything about LaRaven Clark. <laughs> uh, but Decker is my man. You know, so, you know, I like Decker. So I like all of them. I don't, I don't know who LaRaven Clark is. You're, this is why you do the mock drafts, and I just come on for the call. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, well, we'll go 21 through 25. We got the Giants with Ashawn Robinson, the uh, big defensive tackle out of Alabama. Kansas City Chiefs, we're, I've got them a uh, playoff team right now at 22. Dal Alexander, probably the top guard on the board. Uh, maybe some some uh, boards might be favoring Cody Whitehair, some other players, or maybe Spencer Drongo going to guard. But I still like Vidal Alexander. I, for my money, I still think he's the top guard in this draft. Have him going at 22 to the Chiefs. Derrick Henry going 23 to the Colts, uh, the running back out of Alabama and likely Heisman Trophy winner. 24, the Minnesota Vikings with Jeremy Cash, the safety out of Duke. Five, Corey Coleman, the wide receiver, going to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, to me, looking like the heir apparent to an aging Roddy White. Uh, picks 21 through 25, what stands out? I agree with you, Derek, Heisman, Derek Henry, being the runaway Heisman. Uh, I'm not sure about Cash going to Minnesota. because uh, I, I think it's – I love Cash, but I think it's a little early. Uh, but uh, – I actually do know about Alexander, and that's just a really that'd be a very classic Chiefs pick. And uh, they have this; they have the skill position players. If they can get a really, really good offensive line, like you said, it's gotten better. This is a team when Jamal Charles comes back could be. I see for the next. I see them competing for the next few years. All right, we'll finish out the first round, starting at 26 with those Pittsburgh Steelers. We have Tre'Davious White, the corner out of LSU. Green Bay with Shaq Lawson, the defensive end out of Clemson. Cincinnati with Cody Whitehair, the guard out of Kansas State. And at 29, 30, and 31, I've got Denver, Arizona, and Carolina picking three straight Baylor players to close out the first round because I've got uh, the Patriots at 32, and obviously they forfeit that pick at this time. So 29 to 31 would be the final three picks. Andrew Billings, the defensive tackle out of Baylor, going to the Broncos. Sean Oakman, the defensive end, going to the Cardinals. And Spencer Drongo, uh, more people are projecting him as a guard. I still think he can play right tackle. Um, I've got him uh, at tackle, uh, Spencer Drongo going to the Carolina Panthers. I wish Pittsburgh would draft a cornerback. Uh, they haven't done it. And uh, since Kevin Colbert took over, which has been like 16 years. So every year I think they're going to draft a cornerback. Every year I want them to get an SEC cornerback. They never do. So I just I don't see them drafting a cornerback. That's what sticks out. And I, I love the uh, the end of first round, finishing with four Baylor players. Because Baylor is a very, very talented team. And uh, I like that this mock draft reflects that because it's it's accurate. These All four of these guys, I think, are plausible first-rounders, especially Coleman. you got to love Coleman. Coleman could be the guy that ends up jumping Treadwell as the first receiver taken. And we'll we'll quickly go through a little bit of round two before we, uh, before we hang it up for, for the evening. But we'll do a few more picks, and again, any if any of them jump out at you, maybe go about 10 at a time. I have the Cleveland Browns with Reggie Ragland, the uh, linebacker out of Alabama. Tennessee Titans with Michael Thomas, wide receiver from Ohio State. San Diego Chargers with J. Ron Curse, the safety out of Clemson. And, yes, he is the nephew of uh, Javon, went to Florida. Kaveri Russell, the corner from Notre Dame, going to the San Francisco 49ers, but that's going to be dependent upon that leg injury. Looks like he just suffered a broken leg. At uh, 36, we have the Baltimore Ravens with the first small school player, the first um, non-FBS player 
Joe Haig, the offensive tackle out of North Dakota State. Um, we're going to go up to pick 40 here. We've got Detroit with Kentrell Brothers, linebacker from Missouri. Dallas Cowboys with Kenneth Dixon. This is another player that's flying up the boards. Running back out of Louisiana Tech. Uh, th- this is a guy who I think is going to end as the top running back on the board, not named Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott. Carl Joseph, the safety out of West Virginia, going to Jacksonville. And the uh, Rams actually at 40 with the Eagles pick with Max Turk out of USC. Anything jump out at you there? Michael Thomas, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, Reggie Ragland is, is a guy that I can easily see being drafted in the first round by late by a team like Pittsburgh. Kentrell Brothers is a monster. I really, really like him, too. We'll go 41-51 to 51 here. We've got the Dolphins with Josh Perry, linebacker out of Ohio State. Kenny Clark, the defensive tackle out of uh, UCLA, going to the uh, Redskins. Christian Hackenberg going at 43 to the St. Louis Rams. DeForest Buckner, the defensive end out of Oregon, slipping into the second round uh, to the New Orleans Saints. Kendall Fuller joining his brother, the corner from Virginia Tech, going to the Bears. Anthony Zatel, the defensive tackle out of Penn State, going to uh, the Oakland Raiders at number 46. Number 47, the Houston Texans with Josh Doxson, the wide receiver out of TCU. Vaughn Bell, the safety out of Ohio State, going at 48 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tyler Boyd, wide receiver out of Pitt, going to uh, the Jets. Uh, we've also got uh, Carl Nassib, the defensive end out of Penn State, uh, going to Seattle. Jason Spriggs, offensive tackle out of Indiana, going to the Buffalo Bills. Anything jumping out at you there? I think Kendall Fuller could go higher. I think Christian Hackenberg will be drafted if they extend the draft 50 rounds like it used to be in like the 1930s. <laughs> He's such garbage. Get him out of the second round. I hope he shows up for once in his life. For once in his life, but he probably won't. I don't know why it's in the second round. Not even a good football player. Darren Lee, I think, is better than Joshua Perry and Von Bell. Von Bell's got a very high ceiling, but Darren Lee is a guy that I think gets into the first round out of all these Buckeye defenders that are like fringe first rounders. All right. We'll finish out round two, 53. Kansas City Chiefs with uh, Maurice Canada, the corner out of Virginia. Uh, another player is finally living up to promise after some injuries uh, cut his. Uh, early, earlier career, kind of uh, short. He's really putting it together this past year. Um, Nick Martin, the, the center out of Notre Dame, going to the uh, the Colts at 54. And we have back-to-back tight ends, first tight ends off the board. Hunter Henry from Arkansas going to Minnesota. Jake Butt, the tight end from Michigan, going to Atlanta. Pat Elfline, the uh, offensive guard from uh, Ohio State, going to Pittsburgh. I would probably make you happy. Jack Allen, the center for Michigan State, going to Green Bay. Cameron Sutton, another very good corner out of the University of Tennessee, going to Cincinnati. At number 60, we've got the Denver Broncos sneaking another running back in there. Devontae Booker out of Utah, going to the Broncos. O.J. Howard, tight end from Alabama, going 61 to Arizona. Adolphus Washington, is that like eight Ohio State players now in the first two rounds? Uh, Going to the Panthers. And the uh, the Patriots get their first pick. And actually, with my favorite wide receiver, I, he, he's my favorite, um, Rashard Higgins, the wide receiver out of Colorado State, going to New England at 63. Thoughts to end round two? Uh, Jake Butts, really. I, I love the second round. I really do like uh, a lot of things you've done. Uh, Jake Butt is a 
excellent tight end for Atlanta. He he really is. And OJ Harris, OJ Howard's a very good tight end for Arizona. And Devontae Booker is a perfect running back for Denver, assuming they can keep the quarterback play good. Uh, if Peyton Manning is healthy, which he won't be, he won't play next year. He shouldn't have played this year. Devontae Booker would have been a great back because he's got very underrated hands out of the backfield. And Adolphus Washington on Carolina, just a testament to how good Ohio State is. And it's not just you that has, has eight people going in the first two rounds. I'd say the majority of people have eight people going in the first two rounds. That's why I really think they should be considered for the national championship. And if they hammer Michigan like they hammered Wisconsin last year, somehow Michigan State loses and they and they hammer Iowa. They're not out of it. So don't sleep on the Buckeyes. Oh, definitely not out of it. All right, well, another strong show. We'll be coming back next week and – we're going to be starting another segment, too, where Zach's going to have kind of a, a topic that he kind of throws out to for him and myself. Could be a number of things, just kind of a, just a fun little list where we're going to get to play a GM or just kind of our thoughts there, and it's going to be kind of a, a weekly segment for Zach there. We'll, I'll let him surprise me. We'll, uh, we'll uh, let him see what, right. what, what he's going to have for us in that first week that we do that. But, but again, uh, this is going to be another big week, kind of, kind of going to lead up uh, on the college football side to a lot of the conference championship games, so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, any parting thoughts, Zach? I, you know what? I was pretty vocal during this episode, so uh, I think I got it pretty much all out of my system. <laughs> oh, there we go. You don't hear that often, that Zach has got it all out of his system. But uh, yeah, you heard it there. But, but there'll be pl- there's, there's a whole week of things and topics that are going to be churning in that head of Zach's. And we're going to have plenty of topics for next week's show, so... Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for once again tuning in to the podcast here for com. And um, another big thing to look for is uh, the small school prospects. Again, as, as I touched upon earlier, this is the time of year where the, the tape's been readily available. I've already been kind of looking at that, and, and probably within the next week you're going to see some major updates on our site with the small school players. So have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next week here at Draft Site. Um, and then the music plays. <laughs> <laughs> So to toe, the bear is gripping me, but